So we're looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13, on page 1008. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the mother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, And morning, everyone. Please do keep your Bibles open there at page 1008 as we consider just these first six verses uh, together. Uh, As David said, we're at the end of our short series from fear to faith. Uh, And as we begin, I want to ask, what amazes you? What do you find amazing? What do you look at and it causes your jaw to drop with amazement? Uh, Maybe maybe it's stuff like this, Uh, a beautiful view. It's Yosemite Park there. Or this, uh, a world record-breaking slice-sized uh, uh, pizza. Um, or more darkly, maybe scenes of utter devastation on the news. That could be the kind of thing that leaves us amazed. But here's something, what about Jesus? What amazes him? It would have to be quite something to amaze Jesus, wouldn't it? And the accounts of Jesus' life, they bear that out. Plenty of times people are amazed at Jesus, but only once in Mark's gospel is Jesus amazed. And it's here in verse 6. See what makes Jesus' jaw drop? Verse 6. 
And he was amazed at their lack of faith, at their unbelief. Jesus finds unbelief amazing. That's all to our ears, isn't it? What's so remarkable about unbelief? Unbelief's the norm. Unbelief's everywhere. Today, it's faith that stands out. You know, let's say uh, a YouTuber was roaming your, uh, your work or uh, uh, your school or, or your neighborhood interviewing the people they meet. Um, well, if they met a devout Christian believer, you could imagine them saying, really, you believe? I'm so surprised, I'm shocked. In fact, I'm staggered by your faith because it's faith that seems surprising. Much harder to imagine the YouTuber meeting a skeptic, someone who doesn't believe, and saying, really, you don't believe? I'm so surprised, I'm shocked. In fact, I'm staggered at your lack of faith. Much harder to imagine that because today, unbelief is the norm. Well, this morning, we're gonna think more about unbelief from this passage, and our goal is to see unbelief the kind of way Jesus would have us see it, and also to seek the kind of help that Jesus would give us. Three things from this passage about unbelief. First, and very simply, the reality of unbelief. I don't know if you've ever been away from home, and uh, when you've come back, you haven't exactly got the welcome that you were hoping for. Um, lovely with it being Mother's Day, hearing uh, those children talk about uh, uh, how caring, listening, loving uh, mums can be, lovely things. I remember planning to go back to Northern Ireland, back home, and my mum sending me this photo of what I'd be staying in. Um, uh, <laughs> a tent in the back garden. These were COVID times. Uh, thankfully, mum was joking. Uh, but when Jesus returned home to Nazareth, he really did get a very negative response. Uh, we're at the end of a section in Mark's Gospel that we've called From Fear to Faith. Because in a series of miracles, we've seen Jesus save people from scary things, uh, calming a storm, uh, casting out evil, healing incurable sickness. Last week, we saw Jesus save from the very scariest thing of all, death itself, moving us from fear to faith. As we see, here's a savior we can trust in. Maybe you felt over the last few weeks yourself moving a little bit further away from fear at these, at these frightening things to a deeper faith in the Lord Jesus. But even within this section itself, itself that's the kind of movement that you see happening. Uh, we started with fearful disciples and then fearful townspeople, but then uh, a woman who models faith in the Lord Jesus. And last week, a father who heeds Jesus' encouragement, don't be afraid, just believe. That's been the trend from fear to faith. And so now, as we head home with Jesus, we're expecting the big finish, gonna end on a high, everyone believes, which is how I'd write this story if I was making it up. But this isn't fantasy, it's reality. And the reality is, after all the buildup, 
from fear to faith ends with unbelief. That's where this all ends up, with the people you'd most expect to believe in Jesus rejecting him. Why notice that? Because the Bible doesn't live in some dream world where everyone believes. It faces up to the reality of unbelief. Maybe you can recognize headlines uh, like this one from last year. Survey says less than half the UK is non-Christian. Unbelief's the norm today. Uh, Well, that is sad, but it's not a surprise. It shouldn't throw us as if it's unexpected. Jesus himself faced massive unbelief from his own people. It's not a new thing. Unbelief is a reality the Bible deals with. But what is it? What is unbelief? How does it work? Well, secondly, that brings us to the dynamics of unbelief. Some skeptics, if you were to ask them why they don't believe, some of them would say, uh, well, they'd say like the philosopher Burton Russell said, there's not enough evidence. That's the thing that holds people back from believing. There's not enough evidence for them to go on. And yet here in Nazareth, the people have loads to go on. They're sitting in a synagogue while Jesus amazes them with his teaching. They've heard reports of his miracles. Most of all, they've had Jesus live with them for 30 years. And yet, with loads of evidence, still they don't believe. What's going on? Their problem isn't lack of evidence. And it's extra puzzling because, did you notice, they ask some really good questions there in verse two. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? How is he able to perform these remarkable miracles we've heard about? Those are great questions to ask. And if we pressed into the Bible for an answer, we discover this is no ordinary man. He's unique. That the creator God who made everything besides himself made himself into a human being. So Jesus spoke with God's wisdom and did remarkable things only God can do because he is God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. Getting our heads around that, it's not easy. Uh, One image Christians have used to, to try to get at it is this idea that Jesus wore his humanity like a cloak to cover up his goldness. Uh, I'm not sure that's very helpful. It is true that uh, Jesus' humanity sort of concealed his goldness. Uh, If Jesus walked into this room today, he'd look just like the rest of us. But Jesus' humanity didn't just conceal his goldness, it revealed his goldness. The things he did as a man, calming a storm, raising the dead, forgiving sins, the things he did as a man reveal he's more than a man. Look closer and you'll see he's the gold man. The problem for the people of Nazareth is they can't see that. They look at the gold man and all they see is the man. See that in their next questions, verse three? Isn't this the carpenter? You know, the table sitting in our front room, it's this guy, he made it. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of those other ordinary lads? 
Aren't his sisters here with us? Yeah, there they are. Just an ordinary bloke with an ordinary family. Now just notice, everything they say about Jesus is true. He is a carpenter. He is Mary's son. Absolutely. But they've made those true things about Jesus to be the whole truth about Jesus. He's nothing more than a carpenter. He's just Mary's son. That's interesting, isn't it? Unbelief doesn't necessarily mean uh, denying everything that's true about Jesus, saying he never existed or something like that. Unbelief might accept some true things about Jesus and deny others. He's a good teacher, a great example, but he's not God in the flesh, not a savior we can trust in. And that's what these people have done. They've put Jesus in a box, made up their minds. He's just an ordinary guy. And so when this ordinary man presumes to teach them and speaks of great things to them, what's their reaction? They take offense at him. Who do you think you are, Jesus, to be lecturing us? Striking, isn't it? They've got loads of evidence to go on plenty of exposure to Jesus, but they can't see or won't see who Jesus really is. And I want to say that we're in danger of the same problem, especially if we're familiar with Christian things. The other weekend, Hannah and I had a friend uh, come to stay. Uh, she's not familiar with Cambridge, um, and she walked around taking pictures of walls and paths, and doors. And I was thinking to myself, what's the big deal? It's just a wall. It's just a door. But it's that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I've got so used to these amazing things, I don't value them like I should. I'm so familiar with them, I don't see how special they really are, like my friend does. And so I risk missing what's right in front of me. Well, Jesus says something similar to these people. Verse four, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Remember, this is a tiny town where everyone knows everyone. They'd all have known Jesus since he was this high, super familiar with him. And he's basically saying to them, your familiarity with me breeds contempt. You're so used to me that you fail to value me like you should, and you've missed what's right in front of you. So pathfinders, graftees, if you can always remember being part of church, that's a wonderful thing. But take care you don't make this mistake of getting used to Jesus, getting used to him, so that you fail to see how special he really is. And all of us, if we're familiar with Christian things, that's a wonderful privilege. Let's just be careful. Our familiarity doesn't breed contempt. These people, they had the Son of God live with them for 30 years. What a privilege. And they wasted it. What's the big deal, they might have said. It's just Jesus. Well, that's their unbelief. They had loads of evidence. Uh, they knew true things about Jesus, but they failed to trust him as Savior, as God in the flesh.
And that brings us to the third thing, the consequences of unbelief. We've seen in this section, if you've been here, Jesus doing miracle after miracle. And so verse five really stands out. In Nazareth, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few, sick, a few people who were ill and heal them. What's going on? I thought Jesus could do anything. Has he lost his powers or something like that? Well, I don't think so. Um, after all, Mark says Jesus did heal people there. By the way, don't you love how understated it is? Jesus couldn't do any miracles except the small thing of healing some sick people. I love that. The point is, though, it was only a few people Jesus healed, not many people. Because Jesus was able to heal all right, but only a few people would come to him. He couldn't do more because most people didn't bother. A bit like a doctor who could heal any disease, nonetheless cannot help people who won't come to their surgery. And in that sense, Jesus cannot help those who won't believe, who won't come to him in faith. That's the consequence of unbelief, rejecting the one who can save. And it's not a problem with him. Jesus is the mighty, merciful savior that we've been seeing. He can save from sin and death and the judgment we deserve. He can forgive us and make us friends with God and restore our humanity, but only if we come to him and trust him. It pains me to say, but if people won't come to the Savior, they won't experience salvation. And so maybe now we're more able to see unbelief like Jesus does, to be amazed by it. And of course you realize it's not a good amazement. He is deeply disturbed by what he sees. J.C. Ryle, the old bishop of Liverpool, he, he put it like this, unbelief is so suicidal and unreasonable a sin that even the Son of God regards it with surprise. He's staggered, Jesus is, that people don't trust the one who's come to save them. And emotionally, I think that's how we're meant to respond to unbelief too that when we encounter unbelief out there, if you like, we'd be amazed. Now we might be thinking, if I was amazed at unbelief, then I'd be in a permanent state of amazement. Because as we said, unbelief's everywhere. Most of the people that I do life with don't believe in Jesus. And the best comparison I can think of is unbelief should amaze us a bit like death does. Because death is everywhere, people die, that's normal. I look outside my office window and I see a graveyard. Death doesn't surprise us. But on another level, death shocks us deeply, even though it's everywhere. The news about Sandra, that hits us, rightly. Because we know death is wrong. We know it shouldn't be. And I think that's how unbelief in Jesus should affect us. Yes, it's everywhere, but it shocks us. We know it's not right. We know it shouldn't be. And though we're not surprised by it, 
We don't want to become numb at it. Unbelief should hit me as a disturbing thing. And when unbelief out there is actually quite close to home, maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Uh, that is really hard. But remember, Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like to face unbelief from his own family in his own home. The people who knew him best rejected him. It doesn't stop it being hard, but Jesus knows what it's like. And as we finish, unbelief's not just out there, is it? The way this section ends, not with faith, but with unbelief, uh, it raises the question, what about us? How are we responding to the Lord Jesus in here, with faith or with unbelief? And if we're honest, I think we'd say that at our best, we're a messy mix of faith and unbelief. Some of us here might still be looking into the Christian faith, uh, and if that's you, that's great. But those of us trusting in Jesus, we still struggle, don't we, with lack of faith. Even as Christian disciples, we need help with this. Certainly that's what the rest of Mark's gospel would tell us. And so what's the answer to our unbelief? Well, keep on listening to Jesus' word as he teaches us through the Bible. But more than needing Jesus to do miracles for us, we need him to do a miracle in us, to heal our spiritual blindness and soften our hard hearts. And so we're going to finish with the only other place in Mark's gospel where the word unbelief comes up. It's chapter 9, verse 24. And I'm so glad that God has put this in the Bible. Uh, it's going to be on the screens as well. A man asking the Lord Jesus, I do believe. Please help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that good? Don't you want to pray that? Lord, you know I'm a messy mix of faith and unbelief. I can't sort myself out but you can. So please, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Well, that's a prayer. Let's pray now. Uh, let's just pray each of us for a little bit, and then I'll lead us in a prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've been teaching us from this part of your word over the last few weeks. Thank you that you are uh, the Savior who we can trust in instead of being afraid. And we pray you'd help us when we encounter unbelief uh, out there, that you'd help us to react to it uh, as you'd have us do. Um, but we pray as well, Lord Jesus, for our unbelief in here. Um, uh, we thank you so much that you are uh, the Savior we trust in, 
Uh, and we thank you that you don't just expose our unbelief, but you help us with it. So please, Lord Jesus, we do believe. Uh, please help us overcome our unbelief, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the musicians uh, are going to come back up, and we're going to sing a final song. I've uh, been thinking today and thinking these past few weeks quite a lot about unbelief, about faith. Good for us to finish by focusing on the one in whom we have faith, uh, taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on him. Uh, so let's sing of the one whose name is sweet to us, the Lord Jesus. As the music starts, let's stand.